Well, good morning. And I want to uh, say Happy Father's Day also. And, uh, you know, after all of the new ties are worn and the cologne bottles are empty and the socks have holes in the heels, I want fathers to remember that God chose you, an imperfect man like me, to be indispensable roles in the lives of their families. And so I hope we can remember that today. A man can be the least influential man in the world when it comes to their job or even in society in general. But once they have a child, they become the most important man in the life of that child. And so that's why sociological studies have shown that a father's presence leads to to better development of the child. It leads in the future to better uh, social development. It leads to healthier relationships in their lives. It contributes to more stability for the child. And those are things that we've all experienced and we all see, but we need to be reminded of. And when a father is present, then a child is less likely to exhibit antisocial behavior. They're less likely to, to succumb to some of the, uh, the dark places in society and pressure to drug use and, and less likely to live in poverty and a lot of things that are associated with a lack of direction. So uh, this book was written to Christians, this book that we are in, written to Christians who are in under immense persecution. And so we are in uh, uh, Hebrews, and our study goes, but I want to look at Proverbs as we think about fathers and leading into this. In Proverbs 14:26, "...and the fear of the Lord one has strong confidence, and it will be a refuge for his children." A father of faith matters. Matters to them and their personal walk with God, and it matters to their family, and it matters to generations that will follow them. And so we are in a series called By Faith, looking at examples of faith as we find in this book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter specifically. And so this book was written to Christians, Christians who were under immense persecution, facing even greater challenges in the future that they had no idea were coming, but yet were on the horizon. Much pressure, much temptation to abandon the way of Jesus to return to the law of Judaism or abandon Christianity altogether and just forget this way of of Jesus. And it's hard to see the shore when the waves of life are crashing over your head. And so that's where they find themselves. But the author wants his readers and wants us to realize how important it is that we live a life based on faith and not by sight. Because what we see many times can be frightening. And what we see most times we don't understand in that moment. And what we see many times can be confusing. And so faith looks beyond all of this and moves us forward to the promises of God. And so we begin today in Hebrews 11, in verse 5. We read that by faith Enoch was taken up so that he did not see death. And he was not to be found because God took him up. For before his removal he had been commended as having pleased God. So you've heard the term people pleaser. Maybe apply that to someone else, someone who, you know, tries to do everything within their ability and beyond their ability to make sure that everybody else is taken care of. You know, they'll get their stuff done, but they're going to make sure that everybody else is taken care of also. And sometimes that's healthy, and sometimes it's not healthy. And so if we please everyone else, but God is not pleased, then what have we accomplished? I would say shame on us, and even more so, woe to us. If that is the case, what profit is there for us to gain the entire world but lose our own soul? Enoch pleased God. 
How about that? In the whole of the Bible, five passages refer to this man Enoch, two of which are genealogies. And, and although we find not a lot written about Enoch, what we find is significant. It's significant. Enoch pleased God. He pleased God. What a great epitaph. You know, people spend a lot of time and effort thinking about what, what do I want on my tombstone? What do I want to be remembered by? What do I want said in my departure? What greater thing could be said than he pleased God? She pleased God. They pleased God. Seventh generation from Adam here. Seven generations from the dawn of humanity we find this man Enoch. You think about that. That's amazing in itself. And so get your pencils ready because I want you to copy down this list of what Enoch did to please God so we can make sure that we hit every checkbox. So however you take notes, you get ready. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 21. You can follow and, and scribble this down. When Enoch... When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God for 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. And the entire lifetime of Enoch was 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and then he disappeared because God took him away. Alright, did, did you get the list? Anybody miss one? Because I can repeat it, because it's in a very long passage here. Yeah, there's no list, is there? There's no checklist of what Enoch, how, what Enoch did, what steps he had to take, what things he had to make sure he accomplished in order to please God. And it's interesting to me how it seems to indicate that Enoch walked with God after his son was born. That's how it's written. And so that's what the, it's what the indication is here. And so this was prior to the flood, prior to, you know, the, the world is now becoming increasingly evil at the time of this man, up to the day of Noah. And so Enoch, appears, the way Scripture is written here, appears to have had a change of direction after becoming a father. And so I don't know if that's the case. And there are differing opinions among a lot of very smart people about this. But perhaps he was like a lot of men who don't really get serious about life and about faith until they look into the face of their firstborn child. Suddenly you realize the heavy weight of responsibility that's just been thrust upon you. Maybe that's what happened to Enoch here. In any case, Scripture says he walked with God for 300 years. 300 years! You know, I got trouble going from Sunday to Monday. 300 years it says he walked with God. Now, I'm not sure this world before the flood was nearly as primitive as sometimes I think maybe we imagine it to be. And so there's some very strong suggestions in the account of Genesis that this was a highly developed civilization before the flood. No, they weren't flying planes. But you put it in perspective of, of humanity, and they were pretty advanced. And so there are certain markers that archaeologists have dug up of the ancient past that indicate this. This is true, and so far more than we generally suppose. For instance, you go to the fourth chapter of Genesis, and we're told... In, Around verse 20, that among those who lived during that day was a man named Jabel. And so Jabel was the father of all who dwell in tents and who have cattle. And within that little bitty reference there, what surrounds all that is this highly domesticated life. They had dwellings and they had livestock that they managed, they took care of. And we know in our day and time what it takes to manage and care for livestock, what it takes to develop a livable dwelling. And so there were tents which involved so much 
development surrounding dwelling places and permanent places to live and, and homes and houses. And cattle includes this caring for uh, physical needs and this, this highly developed material comforts that come from an agricultural economy. And we've seen what that looks like from our recent past here in the United States. And so then it mentions Jubal, his brother. And Jubal was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. And so this suggests that the world was given over to the arts. The world, there were artistic things going on in culture as, as we generally think of it. And there was a man named Tubal Cain who lived at this time. And he was the father of all who dealt with forged instruments and of bronze and iron. And that's suggestive of a mechanical age. And so, which Enoch lived. So Enoch lived during all of this. This civilization, not so far removed from our day, when you get down to the nuts and bolts, culture and arts and music, mechanical contrivances and conveniences, and and all the things that go into a developed society, the comforts of living. This was the land that Enoch lived in, the land before the flood, by the way. The great-grandfather of Noah, who also, by the way, Scripture specifically says Noah, what? Walked with God. Isn't that something? Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. Just a few generations later. What does it mean to walk with God? And we find this throughout Scripture, this terminology, this phrasing here, walking with God or walking in His ways or by His Spirit. And so in verse 24, Enoch walked with God. And then he disappeared because God took him away. He was not, for God took him. And so when it said that Enoch walked with God, it doesn't mean that God appeared to him in some form or fashion or that he saw him in a visible way. That's not what it means here. Or that he took walks with God like Adam did in the garden. It simply means what it means when we say, they're such a godly person. They walk with God. Oh, they're living their life by God. We know what that means in our terminology. It means the same thing here when we hear about Enoch. Walking is a metaphor for living. Walking with God is to live a life of, of righteousness, of uprightness, of holiness, of faithfulness, according to God's will. Walking with God is pleasing God. And so, fathers, the greatest thing that we can do for our families, for our children, is to walk with God. To walk with God. And church, the greatest thing we can do for our friends and our family and the society around us is to be a church who walks with God. And so whether it's running or walking long distance, there, there comes a, a point when whatever is within me, the energy or the fuel that allows me to, to start and run fast or, or walk strong, eventually that becomes depleted. And now I've got to find the reserves to keep going, to, to finish, to make the distance, keep moving forward. And so faith is that fuel that keeps us moving forward whenever whatever is within us is drained and we feel like we can't go forward one more step. And so Enoch was not a superhero because then this would be about Enoch. It's not about Enoch. It's about Enoch and Bible stories and cool-looking graphics. That's not a, this is about God. It's about what it means to walk with God. Enoch was a man living during an ever-increasing dark immoral time who trusted in the assurance of God, the promises of God, rather than the uncertain environment that he found himself living in. And so by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he did not see death and he was not to be found because God took him up. For before his removal, he had been commended as having pleased God. 
Now, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For the one who approaches God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Now, I would say it is more difficult today in the United States of America, where and when we live, to deny the existence of God than it was during the time of Enoch. And you may think, well, that's a pretty bold statement there, Sean, but I want you to think about this. If nothing else, we stand here today on the testimony of thousands upon thousands who before us and even across this nation and world today are assembling, worshiping the very same God for the very same reason. That's a pretty strong testimony in itself. And the overwhelming amount of Bible evidence that has been uncovered through archaeology over the past centuries, we stand upon that. And so the volumes of validation from centuries of Scripture study, we stand today upon that. Enoch didn't even have a Bible, right? Enoch didn't even have the Ten Commandments at the time, of course. Before Moses, before the prophets... Before the Israelites was this man. And not only do we have specific instructions today, but we have written examples of men and women who followed those, who followed God, who walked with God, that we can look to as our example. And so it's no wonder that Paul would say in Romans 15 and verse 4, for everything that was written in former times was written for our instruction, so that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures we may have hope. So how did Enoch do it then? How did he walk with God in this time of ever-increasing immorality? And when you look around and it seems that everyone around you is doing what they think is right and not looking to what God thinks is right. Everybody's doing their own thing. And when you don't remember much conversation about God growing up in your home, when you listen around you, how did he do it? Well, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For the one who approaches God, must do what? First, believe that God is. And the second, what? That God rewards those who seek Him. That God is, and that God is a man of His Word. And so by faith, that's how Enoch did it. He did it by faith. It had to start by believing God is, and that means believing that God is the authority. See, if you believe that there is a God in heaven who created all things, you must also confess that He is the authority. When you are the one who initiated it all, you are the authority. And so, fathers, if you want your children to understand the authority that God has over their lives, then show them what it looks like to live your life under the authority of God. Methuselah never saw a day in his father's life when he did not walk with God. You think about that. What does Scripture say? Methuselah was born. And Enoch what? Walked with God. How about that? Methuselah grew up in a house where his father walked with God. Does that mean his dad never got angry? You think Enoch never got angry? You think Enoch never got frustrated? Never complained about anything? About the way of the world that was going on? Of course not. Of course he did. Enoch was not perfect. But Enoch was faithful. And there is a difference. The letter... Jude wrote, was written to call out and and warn people about these false prophets, false teachers that were going around after the resurrection of Jesus, those who rejected the authority of Jesus Christ. And so he wrote this, and as he describes those who walked in the way of Cain, we talked about that last week, he also writes about Enoch. And he says in Jude, verse 14, Now Enoch, the seventh in descent, beginning with Adam, even prophesied of them, saying, Look! 
The Lord is coming with thousands and thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict every person of all their thoroughly ungodly deeds that they have committed and of all the harsh words that ungodly sinners have spoken against God. And so if we walk with God, we're going to walk against these other things. That's how I know when I'm walking with God. Against the, the principle of independence. Marking, making my own way. Cutting my own path. The principle against rebelliousness. We destroy the principle of rebelliousness when we submit ourselves to God. When we walk with God. Or against a sense of dependence continually upon God. And so, that's the direction God moves in human history. And the Apostle Paul also wrote in Ephesians about the end. When God gathers all of His, all of His children together brings them back into unity, into subjection, under the only one who has the right that all things should be in subjection to Him. And so Enoch walked with God because he lived in subjection to God. And he placed his life under the authority of God and the control of God. And so when we live by faith, we also submit ourselves to God, our lives to God, our decisions, our actions, our family, our direction, all of that in submission to God's will. Because He knows and He will do what is best for us. And we believe that He rewards those who seek Him. And so you think about a walk. A walk is basically just a series of steps. One succeeding after another. You take a step. That's what walking is. We walk one step at a time. And everyone in this congregation knows what it means to take a step toward God. If we've lived any time in faith, we know what it means to move towards God. We've done it. But that's not a walk. See, a walk is a series of steps taken day after day after day after day with God. It's continual movement, progression, and therefore that's activity. For one thing, it's obvious about human history is that God is at work in human history. When I say at work, I mean He's at work. He's working, He's active, He's, he's changing, He's affecting. He's moving things according to His will, His ultimate will. He's not stagnant. And He's not simply sitting still waiting on eternity. And neither should we be. Paul writes in Philippians 2, So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, continue working out your salvation with awe and reverence. For the One bringing forth in you both of the desire and the effort for the sake of His good pleasure is God. There was a man who went out to the woods and he was going to chop down a tree. And so an hour or so after he'd been out there, a friend of his comes by, check on his progress. And he looks around and, and nothing's been done. He hasn't cut a single thing. Not one stroke is taken. And the friend says, hey, what are you waiting for? And the guy says, I'm waiting to sweat. I'm waiting for the sweat. See, sometimes we get it backwards. See, the sweat comes in the work. Not waiting for the work, waiting for the action. And some of us may still be waiting for God to move until we start to sweat, so to speak. And so start doing something. Move forward. Meet the needs of someone else. There's a step forward. Move out. God is in you to work, both to will and to do His good pleasure. And to will is to want to. And to do is to act on what you want or what you desire. Enoch pleased God because he wanted to walk with God. He desired to walk with God. And in a time where so many of us want to ignore the boundaries of instruction and just 
do what feels good, faith calls us to obedience to the will of God. Sometimes we have the mistaken notion that God's hard to please. We're going to mess up because God is such a tyrant. (laughs) Yet God tells us He knows our weaknesses. He knows our frailties. He knows what's hard for us better than anyone. And He's not as hard to please as we might think. Because Enoch lived his life relying on the direction and the promise of God. And because of that, God was pleased. And so, what are you relying on today? What do you rely on in your life? Because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For the one who approaches God, who would come to God, must first believe that He is. Why would you even approach God if you didn't believe He existed? And when you approach Him, you believe the reason you approach Him is because He rewards those who diligently seek Him. Not seek to find, but seek to find out. God, what do You want from me and from my life? I love the story of a little girl who, after Sunday school, said to her mother one day, Mom, we heard the most wonderful story in Bible class today. It was about a man named Enoch. And so Enoch went on this long walk with God. And one day they walked so far, God said, Hey, Enoch, it's too far back to your house. Why don't you come on home with me? Isn't that awesome? That's what she got out of that story. And what a great thought that we walk with God so far that one day, God says, we're closer to my house than yours. Come on home. See, in times of trial, if Satan can get us to doubt God's existence, Because he'll try to get us to doubt God's existence or His fairness or His power. If he can get us to do that, then he moves us away from a position of faith. If God loves you and cares about you, why is this terrible thing happening to you? Or if God cares, then why isn't He doing something about it? That's even worse, isn't it? Faith takes a stand against that sort of temptation. Faith believes that God will reward me because I have sought Him. And God loves me and cares for me. And even though I'm suffering, He's able to deliver me if that's His purpose. So how do we do this? How do we get to this point, this position? Do we just say it over and over again until we finally convince ourselves, I have faith, I have faith, I have faith. Against all other circumstances. Is that how this happens? Just rehearsing in our mind over and over again? There's got to be more to be said. Saved by grace through faith is not just mentally agreeing with a promise that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. Well, you've got to agree with God's promise, but faith is more than just agreeing. It's also relying on Christ and His work of salvation as your only hope of heaven, only hope of eternity. And so you turn back from relying on your own good works as the basis of your standing with God. God, I've done enough, right? I've certainly done more than they have. We're okay, right? We've got to get our minds off of ourselves, our, our focus off of ourselves. Because when our mind and our focus is on Jesus Christ, everything else will take care of itself. We need to worry about that. So we don't trust religious rituals. We don't trust ceremonies or vows or, or, or disciplines to gain our favor in God's sight. We don't believe that God graves on a curve. And since I'm better than average, right, I'm going to pass this test. That's not how we live this life. We trust solely and completely in the shed blood of Jesus Christ for salvation of our sins. And we believe that God's promise that the one who trusts in Jesus will be saved. If you don't have this foundation, then your faith is going to suffer. 
at times of severe trials, when life descends upon us like the torrent of waves in an ocean, and salvation was what you accomplish or what you avoid messing up, then wouldn't that make God your debtor? Hey God, look what I've accomplished. You kind of owe me something, right? Isn't that what would happen if we, if we flipped that the wrong way? That He owes us? Because what we've done for Him? Now faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. We've got to think about that. God, what can I do to please You? What can I accomplish? What can, what, what can, I, what can I do? What boxes can I check? You've got to have faith. You've got to believe in Me. And that entails all of this other that I have promised and assured you. See, a reward is not something you earn. A reward is something that's given based on the generosity of the giver. And so we deserve nothing from God but judgment. But in His grace and His mercy, we have full pardon to the one who trusts in the, the, the merits of Jesus Christ. And we saw last week with Abel, Abel didn't live a long and happy life on earth like we wish and hope and pray for all of our friends and family, right? But his life was blessed. And Cain's life, who lived a long life, and, and, and even though Cain lived many years and, and built some stuff, had earthly successes, Abel's life was the blessed life. And even though he lived 365 years, which is a little long by today's standards, you know, in, in the context of, of Genesis 5 here, Enoch has the shortest life of all the pre-flood patriarchs. And so his father Jared lived 962 years. And Methuselah gets the record, right? 969 years. And here, sandwiched in the middle, is Enoch. Yet Enoch is called out for his godliness. He only lived a third of the time as these others did. See, faith's reward is not necessarily a long life on earth. Faith's reward is eternal life with God in heaven. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Being convinced of what we yet see. That's what faith is. Enoch's son was named Methuselah. Cool name, I think. You know what it literally means? His name means when he dies, it will come. Is that weird? He named his son. When he dies, it will come. What? What is that all about? It's kind of strange, it seems. Not unless he was named after something that Enoch placed his faith in. See, this is a head-scratcher here. Because if faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, did Enoch not put his faith also in the Word of God. What Word of God came? If you take your pencil and you figure out the listing of ages that are given here in, in Scripture, the patriarchs, you'll see that the year Methuselah died, 969 years later, the oldest man in history, the very same year, it seems, the flood came. Hmm, interesting. The earth broke open. The fountains of the deep you know, shot forth and the whole surface of the earth changed here. The windows of heaven were open. And the skies flooded, flooded water. When the waters welled, the earth was covered by water. When He dies, it will come. Interesting, right? So God gave in the birth of that baby, I believe, a revelation to Enoch. And it was reflected in the name of that child. Hey Enoch, I know how bad things are. Things look terrible. Unimaginable. 
But when He dies, it will come. He didn't know how long that child was going to live. It was a token of the mighty grace of God that that boy who was assigned to Enoch was the oldest man that ever lived. That God allowed him to live that long and put up with it that long. That God preserved his judgment for that long. But Enoch didn't know how long he was going to live. He only knew that as long as that child lived, that God was restraining judgment. And so God's grace was moving among men. And that was the thing that kept him always remembering, always walking with God day after day after day. And do you know that each of us stands this morning right where Enoch stood? That God has given you a life to watch, to observe as Enoch watched the life of that boy. And can you imagine how every day when that boy would go out, Enoch would wonder, is this the day? Is this the time? Is he coming home? When he dies, it will come. And how every day as he watched him grow up, I wonder if he wondered, how much longer is he going to live? We don't know how long it's going to last. How far is the end of the world to you? We don't know. Fifty years? Ten years? We don't know. We stand here today on faith. Perhaps tomorrow, perhaps this afternoon. But when He dies, it will come. The end of all things. The end of all man. The end of all that man has made and all that man has done. Only what God has done will survive. Can you feel Enoch here? you feel this in Enoch? kind of relate to him here. Does this move you to begin to reckon upon the, the, the supervising grace of God and walk with Him to, to see life as He sees life, to look at it through His perspective, to, to begin walking day after day after day, endless steps with God in the direction against sin, against rebellion, against everything that those who reject God stand for. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For the one who approaches God must believe that He exists and He rewards all those who seek Him. Because when He dies, it will come. And He did die. And it has come. See, God's judgment has come in the death of His Son. And the patriarchs and Enoch and all of those who lived up to that time had no idea when it was coming. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, as the Son of God took His last breath, God's judgment reigned full on humanity. How long is this going to last now? They had no idea. The sun set. The tomb was full. The sun rose. The stone was still there. The sun set. Morning. Evening. Morning. Evening. Morning. The stone is gone. The tomb is empty. When He dies, it will come. The promise of God fully revealed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, Enoch knew that God's judgment was true and God's judgment was just. He just didn't know how long he had. So he seized every moment to walk with God to walk according to His will and to pass that on to His family, to His children. And eventually, Noah would be a man who also was known to walk with God, through whom God brought salvation again to humanity. And today, through His very Son, our perfect sacrifice for sin, God has brought salvation to humanity 
so that we can live with Him for eternity. How long, God? How long? And God says today, when you die, it will come. When you die, it will come. Judgment will come. And we don't know when that is. So today, let me ask you, how are you walking? How are you walking? Are you walking by faith? You you can walk with a little limp and walk by faith. Most people who I know walk by faith walk with a little limp. Because life and battle does that to us. Spiritual battle. But when He died, it came. And that was the victory. Victory in Jesus Christ. And this morning, if you'll repent of the sin that's got you so weighed down, God will forgive you through Jesus Christ. And this morning, if you are not a child of God, if you have not been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive God's Spirit and the promise of eternal life, Let me just remind you that when you die, it will come. So this morning, I ask you, what choice will you make? What decision will you make? What step by step by step will you take as we stand together and sing this good song?